Well, thank you, worship team, and thank you for coming this morning. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Luke. Luke 1, we'll begin at verse 26. From the title, you can, of course, see that we are looking at uh, some snapshots in the life of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Here's my basic observation from these two chapters of information about her in the, the birth of Christ. God, of course, always had this vast macro plan of how he was going to bring salvation to earth. God always knew this huge plan and all that would be required, Old Testament, Jesus, New Testament. He always knew the big plan, and Mary only had the micro view of the moment. That is our life. God has a huge plan. We see only tiny pieces. Mary's part was very, very hard, but she accepted God's assignment because she trusted that God was good. Very good. So I don't know what piece of a plan you are struggling with right now that is confusing, that is difficult. But as believers, I think our message today is that can we trust that God has this amazing macro plan? Um, as we read about Mary, we realize she's a good and godly young woman, probably a very young teenager. She's a virgin, we're told here. She's betrothed. Really, the only thing exceptional about her, if we had been able to see her before this moment, was that uh, she's very excited to be married or soon married to the local carpenter, Joseph. But then this happens, verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. So, greatly troubled, of course, shocked indeed. Mary had met exactly as many angels as you and I have. The angel's message is, you have been favored. You have found favor with God. What does that mean to this young girl? How do I have God's Attention. We're told nothing about Mary, uh, that she had any exceptional skills or, or beauty, yet Mary had been noticed by God. What gets God's attention? Mary evidently had a heart for God. That's what gets God's attention. Um, we are so focused on what other people think of us and focused so rarely on what God thinks of us. It's why we scour our social media for positive interactions or are oversensitive to what people say or don't say to us or 
have long sessions in front of mirrors. Why? Because we instinctively value ourselves based more on how other human beings respond to us than realizing that we were created for an audience of one. And God noticed Mary and picked her from thousands of Jewish girls that could have been chosen even in that era of God's timing. But he noticed Mary, who as far as we can tell was not noticed or noticeable for anything else. And while still not over the shock of this encounter, Gabriel delivers this message that was stunning if she even grasped it at all. Verse 31. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Basically, Gabriel has just declared to Mary that she will be the mother of the long-awaited Messiah, deliverer of Israel. It can't get bigger than that, can it? Oh, but she is this village girl who will actually give birth to the eternal king, fulfillment of the Davidic promises. Mary, with no halo or anything special, will have a son who will be the son of the Most High God. Could Mary have ever grasped all of that in that simple set of lines from Gabriel, probably not. Girls didn't even get to study the Torah in any structured sense like young boys did. And so Mary's response in verse 34 suggests that indeed she just had this little micro view of God's plan. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I am a virgin, kind of like saying, Wait, Gabriel, you had me at be with child and give birth to a son. How can I have a baby since I am a virgin? I'm young, but I know how birth works. My mother had the talk. Joseph and I have been pure. How can this be? God never belittles her for her question. God never belittles any of us for our little questions about our little slice of time and immediate concerns. There's no way God expected Mary to comprehend fully the plan of salvation that he had been working from before the foundation of the world. All he was saying is, Mary, I have one assignment. Be the mom. Just be the mom. That's your assignment. But while God was fulfilling this amazing big plan, God did enter in, into Mary's limited understanding and very practical question. And in fact, he answers it through Gabriel in uh, verse 35. The angel answers this question, how can this be since I'm a virgin? The, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Do you think that cleared it up for Mary? <laughs> um, certainly, those words would linger and revolve in her mind the next nine months, if not her whole life. But the bottom line, basically, of God through Gabriel was, Mary, your perplexing biological question about a virgin having a baby has a theological divine 
answer from an infinite God. And the bottom line is that the triune God will accomplish this. Uh, If something is impossible to us in our minds about God, we have to simply acknowledge our limited understanding of God. We don't have to comprehend everything about God to believe everything the Bible says about Him. We can believe some things without full comprehension. By the way, you notice, of course, that the answer of the angel does not include Joseph. He's, he's still, you know, stuck in verse 27, the guy betrothed to her. But Joseph would have no contribution to this event. This is a divine event, God interacting with the simply human Mary. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So you have the third person of the triune God, the Holy Spirit, and the Most High, the first person of the triune God. They are linked together in that first phrase. And the Father and the Spirit will produce this one-time, all-time miracle in the body of Mary, whereby the eternal Son of God, who had always been and already was fully deity, would now add humanity to his nature. So the Holy One to be born would be called the Son of God. Born. Born means human. Only humans are born. Born. Well, that had been the plan of God. That was part of the the macro plan from all time. in uh, Galatians. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. So fullness of time, God had a plan that came in to this very point. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, that's Mary, born under the law. Why? To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So it was a necessary step that there would be a virgin birth by which we would have the only possible savior. Jesus must be born without a man so he could be the one to bring salvation to redeem us. And really what Luke 135 is saying, there are three essentials to being a Savior. One is a Savior must be the Holy One. To save from sin, you have to be sinless. But you had to be born. You had to be fully man. And you had to be God, fully God. Because the core essentials of the cross would be that to pay for our sin, one must die, but God cannot die. So God had to become man so that he could die, but he could not be simply man because that death would have to pay for sin and no sinner can pay for the sin of another man. And so he had to be the sinless, fully man, fully God. And that's the only way he could be our savior. And of course, the plan of God was perfect. Mary, Mary couldn't comprehend all that. Uh, the hypostatic union, taking the, the nature of God and joining it perfectly with, with the nature of a human being in the body of Mary. That's, it's, it's way beyond her. But, but God answered with that in verse 35. You could say that verse 35 was the theological version of answering her question. And verse 36 and verse 37 become the mom version where God explains his power in terms that she could understand. 
Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. Or some translations have, for no word from God will ever fail. So, Mary, you cannot understand everything about the the, the Holy Spirit and overshadowed Most High Son of God. But can you understand this? I have done a miraculous thing in your cousin Elizabeth because you thought she could never have a child. And if we had read um, the first 25 verses of Luke in this, in this uh, record, we would have met this godly couple, Zacharias and Elizabeth, a senior-aged couple who could not bear children, but God had done for them what only God can do. And Gabriel had announced earlier in the chapter to Zacharias, a priest, that they were going to have a son in their old age. Of course, that was John the Baptist. And John had not even yet been born when Gabriel came to Mary with this next birth announcement in the sixth month. Notice that in verse 36. She is in her sixth month. Go back to verse 26. That's where this story begins, in the sixth month. That is the sixth month of her of Elizabeth's um, uh, pregnancy. So Gabriel breaks the news to Mary up in Galilee that Elizabeth down in Judea is pregnant. So now that news is Facebook official, and a miraculous birth is already in store in Judea to help build Mary's faith that a miraculous birth was going to be happening to her too. Of course, on another far more different or vaster scale. But the reality is that when we are struggling with something of, of God's piece of, 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 of a plan for us, we really need to know that God has been doing amazing things elsewhere, right? That's why he has designed the church so that we can hear each other's stories and, and, and someone else has experienced God's power in a completely different context, different way, different stage of life, whatever it might be. But there's something stimulating us to trust God when we see this is what God has done in someone else's life. And we sometimes forget that then sometimes God is going to use us to stimulate the faith of somebody else because of something he's done for us. So we can't just keep our mouth shut and we need to share with one another. But Gabriel's point is clear. Uh, verse 37, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. That's a true statement or a false statement. You can't equivocate. Nothing is impossible with God. Speaks to his omnipotence. Omni, all power. Uh, he has all power. Either God has infinite power or he doesn't. But once you embrace the omnipotence of God, the whole Bible is open to you. Suddenly now, anything the Scripture says about our God is possible. So God created the world in six days because nothing's impossible with God. God sent a worldwide flood and saved Noah and his family and started over because nothing is impossible with God. 
God parted the Red Sea, and the whole nation of Israel walked through on dry ground, delivering them into the land of Canaan, because nothing is impossible with God. Or fast forward, and, and when Elijah called down fire from heaven, God sent fire to consume his waterlogged sacrifice, because nothing is impossible with God. And Jesus could be born of a virgin, because nothing is impossible with God. And once we begin to let that reality permeate our thinking, who God is, now try complaining to God that you're in an impossible situation. Because nothing is impossible with God. We either believe he has all power or he does not. And Jesus, of course, would grow to be the one to turn water to wine and heal lepers and give sight to the blind and raise the dead. Because nothing's impossible with God and Jesus is God. So Mary is at a crisis point of faith. Would she believe what the angel Gabriel has just told her, that she would actually have a child, though a virgin? And her answer is sweet and simple. Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. There is no more discussion. She doesn't have a lot of probing questions. I need to know all the nuances. Just simple, submissive faith. I accept the assignment of obedience in my tiny micro view of your plan. So she hears that Elizabeth is pregnant. It seems that Gabriel was giving Mary a little hint Maybe you want to go down to Judea and check this out for yourself. I've told you about your cousin, or the word means woman relative. We aren't sure what the relationship was. Might you want to go? And so she went, verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. So... uh, Nazareth is up in Galilee, and of course, um, other events of the Christmas uh, narrative is in Jerusalem and Bethlehem, both of which are located in Judea, an area surrounded by many uh, hills, so where this little town was, we're not even told where exactly, but it could have been anywhere in that vicinity, so an 80, 90 mile trip, and Mary, uh, now with the newly conceived baby within makes a trip down to Judea to see Elizabeth. And uh, verse 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, shalom, the baby leaped in her womb, that's Elizabeth's womb, that's John the Baptist, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and in a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you, Mary, among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed, referring to Mary, that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. So so Mary knocks on, uh, on cousin's door, and suddenly God's tiny preborn prophet... John jumps for joy. In that, that same moment, Mama Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and blesses Mary. By the way, unborn babies are 
fully human and responsive even to the work of the Spirit in this case. The mother of my Lord is revealed to, to Elizabeth. So this confirmation that Mary needed that she was on track in the plan of God with the little bit of vision that she had is confirmed by cousin Elizabeth who says, you're the mother of my Lord now. The Lord? The Savior? The Messiah? Yes. And then she pronounces this uh, sense of God's divine approval. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said will be accomplished. Mary, you passed the test. You trusted God with something very, very hard. You believe God's promise that you are going to have the only birth in history without a human daddy. You, you have passed that test. Now she can believe everything. She can believe that he will indeed be the king on David's throne. He will be uh, the son of God, the son of most high God. And uh, Mary burst then into praise. Verses 46 uh, to 55 is her psalm. Just a couple of the verses. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And here we are doing that this morning. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Mary does not exalt herself. He exalts the Lord. And he be, she begins to praise God for the This is what's interesting. She's praising God for the plan before the plan is accomplished. She's praising on the basis of the nature of God in whom she trusts. We don't need to understand everything about God's plan to already praise God for his plan. And so Mary gives us this inspired psalm of celebration while the issues of what this means is still completely unresolved. Could she yet understand virgin birth? Not really. Did she have any grasp of what this would mean for her reputation or, uh, or Joseph's? No. Do you have some unanswered questions and unresolved doubts about the plan? Of course you do. Do you question some of the things that might be in Scripture about God? You go, is that really true? Welcome to Mary's Club. She's the chairperson of trusting God about truth you cannot fully comprehend. So as we approach, approach Scripture and don't fully understand everything, we don't need to leave our brain at the door, but we need to trust that there is someone who knows everything vastly beyond ourselves so Old and New Testament bear witness to the supremacy of the thoughts of God. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declare the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Isn't that a wonderful way to kind of put us in our place? We don't understand it all. God fully does. Oh, the depths, New Testament, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his path beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? What can you tell God? What right do we have to tell God what he should or should not do? And we are, we are, we are caught in, in, the, in the net of his sovereignty and supremacy, and that's a good, safe place to live. 
And so Mary could begin to praise God while still thoughts of virgin birth and bearing God's son might be beyond her imagination or reasoned logic. She worshiped first and trusted later throughout her life. Verse 56, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months, that's through Mary's first trimester, and then returned home, but that would then be what the last trimester for Elizabeth. Seemingly, uh, Mary waited until Elizabeth's child, John the Baptist, was born, and she goes back to Nazareth where no one will understand a virgin birth. Thirty years later, Jesus' human peers or critics will sneer at him still, John 8, 41, saying, we were not born of fornication. In other words, like you, because for those many years, Joseph and Mary would live in their hometown with their reputation unjustly tarnished. And only Joseph would understand, and only because he received a special visit from an angel himself, Matthew chapter 1. So we can be doing exactly what we know God wants us to do, and yet we will be accused falsely nonetheless. How could Mary endure all that? Her confidence in God's plan for her was greater than for her concern of what people thought of her. She was more confident of God's plan for her than caring what others thought of her. Fast forward past the birth of John the Baptist to chapter 2, and we see it doesn't get easier. As we come to the central piece of what we call the Christmas story, but the incarnation of Christ, our Savior. Um, without delving into all the details, we know, verses 1 through 3, that the emperor makes a decision. He's going to take a census of the world, verse 1. And that required, verse 3, that everyone went to his own town, meaning ancestral hometown, to register. So Joseph also went up, verse 4, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. So now together they make the, the same trip. Uh, just uh, you know, nine months later, they go from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. Because that was hometown, they used, these were Judean. Uh, these, these two, uh, Mary and Joseph, were of the tribe of Judah. So somehow they had ended up in, in Galilee uh, to the north, even though that wasn't their ancestral home, just like I kind of ended up in Wisconsin, even though my ancestral home would be in Kansas. So this would be like requiring you all to go to your home states or home areas to, to register. And so that gets them to Bethlehem. And, and you and I can read Bethlehem, and, and if, if we know some of the Old Testament, go, yeah, yeah, that's great, because that's exactly where they're supposed to be, right? The only reason you'd say that is because you've known the scriptures well enough or heard Christmas stories or Christmas uh, messages about Micah 5.2, 700 years before God told the, the prophet Micah that the ruler is going to come out of Bethlehem. And so we say, yay, we see this all coming together. Did Mary and Joseph know that? Did they know that particular scripture? Not everybody had a scroll and 
They can't scroll through their scroll finding all these passages, right? So how did they know that? In fact, the scribes knew it, Matthew chapter 2, only when pressed into research mode by angry Herod. But did carpenters like Joseph in Nazareth know this? We don't know. All Mary knows is that now they have a trip to make. 80, 90 miles, she'd done it before. But now she's nine months pregnant. What woman enjoys long trips at nine months? Don't all raise your hand at once. But why now? And however they traveled, it was certainly involved an animal. Painful jolts. Joseph, slow down. Joseph, why'd you take that route? Joseph, I need to stop again. It gets worse all the way to the birth, verse 6, while they were there. So they arrived. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Whatever image you pick of this, is this a cave? Is it a lean-to, a barn, an inn, a shed? I don't know. But the one thing we know for sure is that a manger is a place they fed animals, so we expect an interesting smell in the uh, birthing suite of our Savior. All the details are wrong in the micro view. God's will can get very, very unpleasant in the immediate. Why this? Why is it so hard? Why did you allow 2022 and 2023 has been very hard for our church and, of course, some in particularly difficult ways. We've grieved, we've grieved with and for others. We've questioned, we've doubted, been burdened for others. And beyond that are many, of course, other silent, deep burdened burdens that are unshared, maybe unshareable, God knows. God only knows that we know one tiny little piece of life that we feel now. And he's asking us to trust him with a great bigger, much bigger plan. 90 or so miles of travel to find refuge only in a barn could have felt very, very ugly. And yet, isn't that the very scene that now for 2,000 years around the globe people are, are like celebrating that God Almighty would personally enter our ugly, sinful world in some of those very simple, obvious ways. I imagine Mary that birthday truly rejoicing as only a mother can when a painful process of birthing is complete. Joseph, we've believed God. We, we endure the judgmental eyes of our hometown. We he endured all that bumpy travel, and, and, and now Jesus is born, and he's tiny, and he's beautiful, and he's normal, and I'm grateful. But, but Joseph, he looks so normal. Is that okay? I mean, isn't the very thing that we all want when our babies are born? They look so normal. Do you think I could have bothered them? After all that buildup, all that, the, the, the angel... Gabriel came and said that he's a son of the Most High. He just, I don't know, he looks just like any other baby to me. 
another unresolved question. And God answers. As there's a shuffling of sandals in the dirt outside the barn door, and someone is coming to their not-so-private birthing suite. Joseph, it's not a good time to meet people, okay? My hair is a mess. I've never had a chance to clean up, and now who are these guys? But it turns out that the shepherds fit the scene perfectly. I mean, you're already surrounded by animal smells. What can a few shepherds add? They didn't come far, verse 8. It says there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. So they were right there. And God had planted them there and now sent them to Mary and Joseph to settle any lingering doubt that their baby was indeed the very supernatural virgin-born Son of God, Son of Man that had been promised, who had joined their family, who had joined humanity. So surely the, the shepherds reported everything we, we see in verses 9 to, to 16. First of all, that the angel of the Lord appeared to them, verse 9, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel, this is just the one angel, said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you, shepherds. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. That's a curious statement. So the angel tells them that information while they're in full shock mode. And then they will have told Mary and Joseph there was more. Suddenly, verse 13, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace to men on whom his favor rests. So there's a whole, whole host of heaven that, that announced the same, uh, that praised God for what the one angel had told us. And then Joseph and Mary, this is what happened. When the angels had left them or us and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. So the shepherds show up to confirm the plan of God for a dear young couple who could only see the circumstances of the difficulty of that very moment. But God had a great big plan. And he says, I want you to know what it is. And these unlikely combination of people, shepherds, Mary, Joseph, a baby, create the first Christmas party. The first humans to meet Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior of the world, King of creation, who had come to live, to die, and then to reign, to rise and reign. It was exactly what Mary and Joseph needed to hear. Think of the discussion. Good news of great joy. Good news is the word gospel. So this was the gospel. The angels of the Lord says, this is the gospel of joy. This is the gospel, the good news of joy. Of course, eventually it would be the Savior. All people, the gospel came 
to that little room full of people. Now 2,000 years later, the gospel came to all people in this room, all people on this planet. Has been born to you, God in baby form. A Savior, everyone from Adam and Eve to the newest newborn today. Sins have been paid for by this Savior. He is Christ the Lord. He is the true Messiah, the Master, the Lord of Lords, King of Kings, Lord of all. And so Mary and Joseph, there in Bethlehem still, get to listen and suddenly the burdens and the questions are eased and evaporate. So for this special moment in time, Moses, Joseph and Mary could release their fears. I wonder if even laugh at some of the inconveniences of the previous weeks. God's the best encourager ever, and he knows just, just who to send, when and where. So verse 16 says, uh, rather verse 17, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary pondered up all these things, treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. What things? Everything. Everything we've read, the Gabriel visit. That was amazing. And then Joseph, remember when you almost divorced me? Until the angel came and explained it to you. And then the journey and the visit to the shepherds. See, God was creating a storyboard of her own life whereby he was growing her faith, revealing tiny bits at a time. Trust me with this, endure this, face this, enjoy this. And it wasn't over. Because Mary would go on to raise Jesus as a boy. End of chapter 2, we meet him as a 12-year-old with Mary and Joseph are both there. And then after that, by the way, you never see Joseph again. We assume that Mary loses her strong, stable carpenter husband. But she grows up sees him grow up to turn water to wine. Mary is present at that first miracle and maybe many others and the teaching and the opposition and the threats and rumors she hears about and raising all those other boys who, by the way, did not believe in Christ until after the resurrection, so burdened for them, I'm sure. And finally, we find Mary as one of those Faithful 120 believers, Acts chapter 1, after the ascension of her son Jesus to heaven, 120 believers are gathered with, among them is Mary, and she and they become the foundation of the church age of which we are now, to, now a part when the Holy Spirit came. So there would be much for Mary to ponder and treasure in her life of learning to trust God step at a time. And so our challenge is the same. What is God teaching us about himself and his plan? Will we trust his nature, trust his love, trust his power, trust his sovereignty in the tiny piece of life we see, knowing there is a 
wonderful, huge picture that God is planning that we do not see. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this remarkable, simple young girl who teaches us the simplicity of faith in a majestic, wonderful God. I pray, Lord, that you would speak deeply to each of us in whatever personal confusion or or pain or even joy or blessing that we are experiencing, knowing that there is something bigger than the thing we're focused on and that you are accomplishing your greatest purposes through some of these most seemingly natural circumstances. And so we want to uh, reinvest our trust in you, knowing that you are worthy of it all. In Jesus' name, amen.